Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503 558 6349 or slash portland On this episode of the podcast, we're honored to welcome Representative Suzanne Weber and Adam Schwend, who is her uh, campaign manager slash chief of staff. Suzanne Weber is was just elected to District 32 out in the Tillamook area, so coastal Oregon seat. Is that correct? That's true. It's um, half a Tillam- half a Tillamook County all of Clatsop County, part of Washington County, and wow. one household in Yamhill County. <laughs> <laughs> that very lucky household. <laughs> one household in Yamhill. Did you get that vote? Do you know? Did they vote yes, for you? She did. She did. <laughs> 100%. 100%, of, 100% of, of County. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, I am really excited to talk to you. Um, I'll just kind of give the uh, the mathematician in me has to has to pr- uh, give a little bit of background here. Um, so there are there are sixty seats um, in the U.S. in the uh, Oregon State House. Fifty seven of those stayed with the same party that they were at before. So if a Democrat held it, a Democrat won. If a Republican held held it, the Republican won. Of those three that flipped, there was one in Bend. Sherry Helt lost her seat to a Democrat. And there were two uh, on the coast, which had been democratically controlled for a while, decades. Um, and those two were Boomer Wright and yourself. So you are one of the two seats out of 60 who flipped from Democrat to Republican. And I I, that's fantastic. That's a really cool accomplishment uh, in the 2020 race. So congratulations. Thank you. Um, I guess we'll just start out if, uh, with a representative. If you want to just give like a mi- bit of a two-minute bio, who you are, how you came here, how you decided to run for office. Um, I know you're former mayor of Tillamook, but uh, just go ahead. Okay, I moved to uh, Oregon, to Tillamook, uh, specifically in 1970 from uh, Minnesota. I taught in uh, Tillamook School District just about a half a block from where I live right now for 30 years. I taught first, second, and third grades and a special class uh, in, in that interim too. Um, in 2000, I retired. And then I also was a small business owner along with my uh, sister-in-law. We owned a cake and catering business and a retail shop in downtown Tillamook until 2008. And then I became, uh, when we closed uh, Cordelius, I uh, became involved in city government. And so I was appointed to the city council. And then uh, when our mayor decided to retire, I decided that I could run for mayor because I'd always told my class when we were having vocational education, when they would say, Mrs. Weber, what are you going to be when you grow up? I'm going to be the mayor. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, That's it's a self-fulfilling prophecy there. Um, mayor for 10 years. I have been uh, involved all up and down the coast in various um, uh, committees and commissions. Um, so I just jumped right into the job of commission of counselor and mayor and uh, made it uh, a job. And so then I was having a difficult time getting the attention of our, of our then current legislator because we were in the south end of um, their district, and I, I couldn't get her to pay attention to what I needed her to pay attention to. And so I got mm. extremely frustrated, and I waited for someone to um, take up the cause, and no one did. And so being extremely service-minded, I decided that um, 
I'd run for it. And I did have Adam to also help me make up my mind. She, I, I have ne- never had to court a candidate so <laughs> far as, as we had to do with Suzanne. And um, we had legislators of both parties calling her saying, please do this. We had business owners calling her, please do this. It took us a solid three months to get her to say yes. <laughs> and when she did, I brought my laptop over and filed for her. Mm-hmm. Right there, so that I could <laughs> no but going it, back. Not, it was done. Like, yes, yeah, exactly. Very cool. Very cool. Well, that's so. That's wonderful, and I, I definitely have a ton of questions. And I know James and I are, are very excited to to hear more about your story and what your plans are uh, as a as a representative and as a chief staff. Um, to to just throw a bit of a wrench in the gears as we get started here today, January sixth, this afternoon, uh, we uh, we all watched on the news as. Uh, a group of protesters this morning were kind of egged on by President Trump and ended up storming the Capitol and breaking in, breaking some windows, breaking some of the furniture and everything. And um, it was a, a very frightening display. I, listeners by this point will have heard James and I, we've recorded our emergency prod- podcast, so they're familiar with, with our thoughts on the matter. And just for the two of you guys, I'd love to hear, you know, what any thoughts you had as you, you know, saw on Twitter or watched on, on the news and anything like that. Just a, sorry, real quick side note. Um, we are recording this at three in the afternoon, which is 6 p.m. DC time, which is the, uh, the curfew has just started 10 minutes ago. And so none of us have the news on. So uh, something may be happening right now that we don't know about. So listeners keep that in mind. That so, in yeah, mind. Uh, anyway, you guys, do either of you have a comment or anything you'd like to? Well, I'll say as I look at this Washington Post uh, push notice, it says that uh, someone in the U.S. Capitol was shot and died. She did die, yeah. Yeah, She just died. Uh, I knew that this was going to be a momentous day because of the number of people that I personally knew that were planning to go to the Capitol and um, had very strong feelings um, about um, the election and how it all uh, came to be in the end and how they felt about... um, the outcome. And you know, when uh, 50, 60 something women get mad, (laughs) (laughs) you know, hell, hell hath no fury like a woman who is on a a track. And there were lots of them that I knew that were in that uh, group today. I, I really looked at the people that were there. And I saw a lot of people there that were just like myself, that had gray hair and were angry because of what has been happening. It's very disconcerting, the level of violence that was reached. I don't know how we're going to go forward from this and what's going to happen. We also saw it in Salem, but not to the uh, degree that we saw in Washington, D.C., Um, I'm anxious to um, talk to the folks, the friends that I know that were there to get their um, take on it. Because, you know, when you are hearing from the media, um, you are hearing a viewpoint that is um, quite possibly slanted for sensationalism. And uh, so I, I need to hear from them exactly how it, you know, occurred in their eyes. Yeah, and I, I, I think one of the frustrations, if you just remove the aspect of the election part of it, is, and we can have conversations about that, uh, but I, I really think what it comes down to, what, what I connected it to is what was happening in Portland. Mm-hmm. People, uh, a lot of people who are going out and protesting, whether you agree with the cause or disagree with the cause, that's everybody's right. Should be yes. able to do that. Uh, and that's kind of how I, I felt about it. But when you start causing violence, destroying property, you've crossed the line. And that's unexcusable. People should be arrested. People should be prosecuted. Uh, You just, we can't operate a government like that. No. Um, So I'm, I have a lot of people who, that I know were there. I have a lot of people who would, that I know would never go there. I don't want to go too deep into 
the uh, the discussion around national politics. I think we, we really sure. want to be Oregon focused as much as we can, but I think we can really tie that to the sort of things that were happening in Portland. Yeah. Um, that it's fine to protest, even when what you're protesting and the opinions that you have while you're protesting might be wrong, yes. but you have a right to do that. Everybody has a right to be wrong. Absolutely. Yep. And, Once you point don't of, have the right to do is destroy other people's property, public property, right. hurting people, property. And destroying things. Yeah. Yep. Okay, Agreed. Well, let's uh, let's move on and talk about Oregon then. I think Adam, I'd, I'd like to give you a little bit of opportunity to give your little two minute bio if you don't mind oh. before we get on. I'm curious to see how you are ended up here and ended up with uh, working with Suzanne. So I uh, born and raised uh, here in Tillamook. Uh, went off to Pacific University and uh, studied there. Did a number of, uh, uh, of jobs throughout my career. I've been involved in Oregon politics a long time. I uh, started about 2003, actually about the same time you were starting getting involved in, in Oregon politics. Um, I was the uh, Bush Cheney 04 uh, Tillamook director, uh, run a number of legislative campaigns and uh, a number of uh, ballot measure campaigns. And in 2018, I, I, after the, the shellacking that everybody on our side took, I kind of wanted to take a step back and just kind of focused on family and quiet myself a little bit. But as Suzanne mentioned, we had a, a representative who was elected who just didn't fit the district. She didn't. Uh, whether she's a nice, I don't. I didn't get to have the opportunity to get to know her as a person, but she just her politics did not fit this district. So yeah, what do you mean by that? I'm, uh, I'm or uh, I've heard that term a lot. It doesn't fit the district. Sure, it doesn't fit the district. I, you know, the a Democrat here on the on the coast is very different than a Democrat mm -hmm. in the Pearl District. Yes, sure, uh, James, where you're at. Yeah, <laughs> you're, 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 you're operating a whole different world. We, we're represented. You're very fortunate to be represented by Betsy Johnson in mm -hmm. this. Uh, we're in her Senate district. There is a five and a half point voter registration advantage for the Democrats, uh, but Suzanne won this race by nine and a half points. Uh, so she had a lot of Democrats and a lot of independents vote for her. So uh, this is a moderate to uh, and, and working class sort of, mm -hmm. of district and uh, Representative Mitchell just did not fit yeah. the district in that she had only lived here for three years. Uh, mm. She really didn't take the time to get to know the district and mm. uh, she is certainly on the progressive side of the Democratic Party and that uh, I think for the most part in District 32 the Democrats here tend to be on the uh, the more moderate working class blue collar side. Right, and you'll find a lot of uh, Democrats that are in in uh, Timber Unity also, okay. which is a very conservative bent. I was going to say Senator Johnson. Um, her her views could almost be a moderate Republican. I mean, she she's she has. Yes. I mean, she not may not appreciate that. No, she's a Republican uh, Democrat and. The uh, Republican uh, Party in Tillamook um, endorsed her for her last um, race. Oh, wow. Yeah, she, I mean, I just watching the stances that she takes, I've listened to her. She's got a podcast. I'm sure you, you may have listened to that. Um, has some really great ideas and really a, a reasonable person would, would be honored to have her as, as uh, my representative or my senator. Of uh, note, her father, Sam Johnson, was a Republican. And served in, the, ah. served in the assembly for quite a number of years and um, a moderate Republican and just as Betsy is a moderate Democrat. But I think where things are different, I think where Suzanne really connects as well is that her party label is really secondary or even tertiary to who she is. Um, hmm. it, it, who, it, Suzanne, I, I've known Suzanne for 30 years. I found out she was a Republican two years ago. When we first tried to get her to see, just because she didn't wear it on her sleeve, it didn't matter. What mattered to me was that the job, the for the best uh, intentions of the people and the area, got done. It, so, it wasn't a Republican or a Democrat 
policy. Policy. Right. Yeah. It was something that we needed in this in this area. It's you know working with uh, Columbia Pacific Economic Development, Tillamook County Eco- Economic Development. All those things are dealing with people, not with politics. Sure. Um, so, and that's interesting. I, I wanted to ask because I know, obviously, as a teacher, I, I my own wife is a fourth grade teacher. I, you listeners, you may hear on this podcast, she's talking to someone. <laughs> they're going through a math problem right now, learning division. We'll see how well it's going. Um, but uh, teachers obviously have a have a more left leaning bent, and I know you personally won the the IPO nomination as well as the GOP nomination. And so, I definitely would have had you uh, pegged as somebody who's more interested in good public policy than necessarily scoring points within your party. And so it, it sounds like that would be the, the, the case then, correct? Yes, it is the case. I, I do believe that we have to do what's best for the people. Yeah. We have to put some of these things aside. Sure. You know? The funny thing is she, she was also the, a former uh, union president, teachers union president. Oh, wow. Here yes. is- in, uh, in <laughs> I was uh, a member and uh, I think I was president three different times of um, the Tillamook Education Association. I worked with OEA and NEA. I have uh, attended um, NEA conventions as a uh, delegate also. So I, and I, think, I think it goes to show it doesn't matter huh. the party label. It doesn't matter the political label. It's what is going to be best for the people of rural Northwest Oregon. That, that's, sure. that's what it's about. Yeah. Can I ask, did you happen to get their endorsement for the, the race? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No? I did not. Okay. Oh, I just, I just right. interesting because you, you did we, I'll, I'll in real quick. a lot on here. And you did get the, uh, the endorsement of, I think a steelworkers union though, correct? Yes, I did. Yeah. I, I did get, um, a very um, a wide endorsement from the unions in the Astoria area. For one day, <laughs> yes, she was. Uh, she was endorsed by the local uh, chapter of the AFL CIO. Wow. Okay. Uh, for about twenty-four hours, yep. and then the state AFL CIO found out about it. <laughs> called the president of the local AFL CIO chapter and uh, forced them Nuts. to rescind. The, yes. Uh, wow. Wow. But we made a very we made a very big spectacle about that, and yeah. um, even though she didn't get to hold that not that uh, endorsement, uh, it was made uh, very clear oh, yes. to the community that uh, everybody knew yeah. that, <laughs> that politicians in Portland were trying to right. take uh, the voice away. Right. From uh, from the local union leaders who yeah. unanimously endorsed her. Wow. wow. Do you, do you think it. that those are relationships that can be salvaged? I mean, between the Republican Party and unions of any of any sort. Um, I, I interviewed with AFSCME because um, I a, a friend was on the board and convinced me to actually go and talk to them. They didn't endorse me, and just kind of the way it it went, it sort of felt like there was the R by my name basically excluded me from ever being endorsed by, by a public employee union or, or most unions in general. Um, do, you, do you think that's something that we can work on or is this a lost cause and we should just try to focus on other things? I don't think it's a lost cause because I think that you have a groundswell of, uh, of people who are, are, are Republicans that are um, parts of these uh, unions and they are parts of these unions because they're mandatory in order for them to get work. But I think that their vote is the Republican vote, and so hmm. I think that I think that there is going to be a change in that because I think ultimately the people will be heard. The people in those organizations. Yeah, I think that's it. Is that uh, is the relationship salvageable between? union leaders in, in Salem and Portland. Uh, I think we can all be friendly, but they're never going to support Republicans. They're never going to. Right. Um, but you have a whole lot, as Suzanne was saying, a whole lot of, of boots on the ground, workers, dues paying folks who don't like the direction right. that their leaders have taken them. Uh, so I, I think they're absolutely, they're, they're, is an opportunity if we see some leadership change, a desire 
to uh, to have some working across the aisle. The whole public employee unions being in bed with the Democratic Party in Oregon isn't hadn't always been that way, but not mm. too long ago in the, in the 80s and 90s, they were donating 30 to 40 percent of their money to Republicans. Yes. Wow. So that much money. That, yeah, that can be re-achieved. But what we need is uh, is leadership in the unions who are willing to right. to at least think about it, at least mm. have that conversation. Uh, unfortunately, we have a lot of candidate or uh, we have a lot of candidates on the other side that are just bought and paid for. Mm-hmm. So it's it's funny, I or well, funny might be the wrong word, but I so I was on Newt Bueller's campaign <laughs> in 2018, and one of the things that he talked about over and over again was Oregon is 47th or 49th or whatever in the country in terms of high school graduation. And I remember one night I was um, I had left a, a, I left the office, I left Newt's campaign office, and I still had he bought us all like blue you know fleece vests, and it was just like. You know, like you'd see like a North Face thing or whatever. So we're all wearing them around and it was it was late autumn. So it was kind of chilly anyway. And I actually met up with my wife who was doing a uh, they, they were doing like a teacher happy hour at a bowling alley. And I inadvertently I walked in still wearing this vest and I got some looks like I like you wouldn't believe. Uh, but a couple of the teachers there whom I actually hadn't met before were like, you know, I'm, I'm actually voting for new. Like, I can't tell anybody in my union this. I can't tell anybody in, you know, the rest of the school. But there are there's enough individuals who are uh, representative uh, like yourself who are more concerned with good public policy and good governance than they are with necessarily voting for somebody specifically with an R or with a D by his or her name. And there's obviously a lot of teachers who are not interested in voting for Republicans. There's not, it's going to be very rare that a a public sector union is going to endorse a Republican, but there's definitely, like you say, the, the individuals who comprise that union membership, they're not all uniformly thinking the same way. And especially when a candidate gets up like Newt Bueller, who says, I want to make education priority and we got to, improve our, our graduation rates here. I, I, I definitely think that there's votes to be won. Well, I think it's, it has less to do with the voter, the voters and more with just the money that they control the, the unions control. And, you know, yes. that's kind of what I was, was getting at. I mean, in any organization, you're going to have people on both sides of the aisle, I feel like, but um, anyway. Well, I, one of the difficulties that I think we faced was that which made this race the most expensive house race in Oregon history was that wow. the unions dumped one point, almost $1.7 million. Half of that being in the last two weeks. Yes. Uh, in just ridiculous attack ads. And yeah. it's one thing to donate, you know, 30, 40, $50,000 to a candidate. It's quite another to completely bankroll their campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what happened. And to push, um, you know, they pushed the fact that I was going to take uh, billions of dollars away from education. And anybody who knew me all up and down the coast knew that I'd been teaching in Oregon for thirty years. Thought, yeah. what the hell? Yeah, going to do that. <laughs> they will. They will lie through their teeth in those yep. attack ads. It is. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. So I, I have a question about your uh, your opponent, um, Debbie Sm- Debbie Booth. Schmidt. Um, can you tell me a little bit about her and what you thought was your, so, I mean, obviously you have super deep roots in the community. Um, was she also similarly from the district or did she recently move from Portland? I know that, um, a lot of, uh, these union backed folks are, are handpicked and they usually have only lived in the district for a year or two before they run for office. She lived in the district for several years. She and her husband oh, she uh, have a little um, secondhand store in downtown um, Astoria. She uh, worked for the district in the district attorney's office for twelve or thirteen years. Oh, okay. Uh, so worked um, for a union. Yeah. She was a union secretary. Interesting. So she was what, secretary of the union that didn't that endorsed Suzanne, which was <laughs> um, that's too funny. <laughs> she she lived in the district for thirty years. I mean, she okay. she definitely had roots in the district, and I don't think there's anything that uh, I definitely don't think uh, we can throw that uh, the same thing that no. was thrown at Tiffany Mitchell. Sure. Only been there three years. We can't couldn't throw that at her. But I guess, like, what do you think is that it would be a, a key to your victory? Um, 
I mean, being a better candidate, of course, but. <laughs> well, I'm not sure. I... Well, I think there's two parts. I really think there's two parts to it. Um, one is a candidate. I mean, Suzanne, Suzanne was, as I look back on the last 20 years, I mean, the last time a Republican held this seat was 2020, or, uh, 2002. Two. And as I look back on the candidates that the Republicans ran in those times, uh, none of them had any elected experience, very little government experience. I think actually one of them may have been an elected school board member, mm-hmm. um, but had almost no experience in government, uh, really weren't known that well in their communities, or they were partisans. Mm-hmm. They weren't massive partisans that, that they, uh, the party, because of our primary system, the party leaders knew them, and so they won. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think having a... Um, a mayor and a city councilor who'd been in, in the trenches for almost 20 years, who was nonpartisan, even though she is registered uh, as a Republican, she's, uh, she's nonpartisan and her, the mayor, being mayor and being city councilor, nonpartisan. Um, so there's those things. She was just a superior candidate and had lo- deeper uh, connections within the district than uh, her opponent and anybody else that had run. The other side, I think, is the campaign structure. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of I times, uh, well, the way it works is that you have a consultant who is out of Portland or Salem or D.C. or Kansas City or Florida who is really managing the campaign, and you hire a 22-year-old kid who just graduated from college in July and make them the campaign manager, quote unquote, who's really just a gopher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're not in, not from the district. They've just been just transplanted in to run the campaign and they're not actually running the campaign. We started staffing the campaign. We had staff going in February. February. Uh, we had my, myself being, uh, as a campaign manager, a true manager, uh, we had a, a campaign consultant uh, out of Salem. Mm-hmm. And then we had uh, a, cons- or a, a grassroots coordinator on the north side of the district mm-hmm. who didn't have a whole lot of political experience, but she's, she's just she's, a force oh, of nature. Yes, I mean, she, she is. She's just, she knows her community yes. front and back. She has uh, a long history in, in the military. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're all adults, too. I mean, I, I was the youngest. I think I was the youngest member of the uh, campaign staff at 37. So um, the fact that we had all adults running a campaign, that the structure was there to begin with at the very beginning and not today, that made it so that we could outplay them in a number of ways and that we had a, a, a ground game and a, and a running start that they, I don't think, expected us to have. And one for one, you obviously, y'all can't argue with results. It, the, the proof is in the pudding, and it's obviously to, to be one of just two seats that flip from D to R. Um, I'd love to ask, what are your, what are kind of going to be the areas of focus? What are going to be the priorities that you're looking to accomplish here in the session? Obviously, it's going to be a, it's going to be crazy with coronavirus still going on, and there's all kinds of, you know, spending issues to work out and unemployment stuff that still needs to go on, all of that, everything as well. Um, uh, you know, being a former teacher, is education something that you're primarily concerned about, or what are kind of the, the areas of focus that you're going to be zooming in on? Well, when I campaigned, I campaigned on three things that are uh, truly my passion, education, housing, and um, infrastructure, highways. Okay. Because, you know, everything comes into this whole district and goes out of this district um, on a truck. And so we've got to make Mm -hmm. sure that our highways and our culverts and our tide gates um, are all in good repair. So okay. then, you know, our kids have been going to school virtually. We have 40% of our children who don't have um, access to um, Wi-Fi. 40%? So we've got to wow. be able to, we've got to be able to, um, if this ever happens again, or if we have the tsunami, we've got to have that infrastructure in place to be able to survive. Housing is critical because we have a, an area that is beautiful. We have a lot of people who come and visit here. 
we have a, a big service industry uh-huh. um, that caters to all of these people that come uh, to live to uh, visit here, and we have to have some place for them to live. And we don't have that kind of quality housing, especially for um, affordable housing for our our workers in our area. When you look at the 20-year um, inventory of what we have, we're lagging seriously. And so uh, providing that housing is something that I have worked really hard on and that I will continue to work hard on. And uh, then um, education. You know, that's our future. How are we going to develop new industries if we don't have um, an educated workforce? We've got to be able to provide that for our kids. And as a result, I was very fortunate to be uh, appointed uh, vice chair of the education committee. Great. Are two, oh, wow. two of us vice chairs, which I, I uh, appreciate. I'm also on the early childhood education committee and I'm on the housing committee. So um, the speaker listened to me when I told her what I felt that I would like to contribute the most to um, my area. Well, I'll bet. Um, I was just thinking those things sound very much like very COVID centric um, <laughs> issues. Uh, that's, that's probably the wrong, the wrong way to say it, but just like. Is there anything that's not COVID centric? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's all COVID. Well, just, I mean, everybody. Accessibility, you've got to be able to, you've got to be able to um, communicate. Look at what we're doing here. Uh, we're not meeting in person. Right. Virtually. On Zoom, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Education, I think, is really interesting. We had um, Ali Lowry, the chair of the Portland Public Schools School Board, on the podcast a while back and talked about how um, how much better it is for kids to learn in person and how this is this uh, virtual learning has got has um, has really damaged, especially uh, like low income kids who like 40% don't have access to Wi-Fi. That's, that's incredible. And when you're trying to go uh, learn remotely, that's, I think we've got a, a big uphill climb in the next few years to try to dig ourselves out of this hole um, educationally that we've put ourselves in and on thanks to COVID. Plus we um, have, uh, you know, a huge population in this area, particularly of uh, immigrant families. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they just fell off the fell off the grid when we started going virtual, and yeah. we have to bring those kids back into the fold and up to speed and educate them. Yeah. Can I ask? Is that something that happened because they the uh, the immigrant community tends to live in in some of those areas that are not serviced by Wi-Fi? Are there other were there culture issues or there language language issues? Something along those lines. Uh, most of it is that they live in areas that are not serviced. I mean, you know, they have their, all, all of them have their cell phones and are able to communicate with those, but they mm-hmm. don't have the, the bigger um, computers and the accessibility for their kids to be able to, to get that learning module brought to them. Plus the other thing is, you know, they're kids. And so are they going to pay attention to all of the big picture things that they need to be taking care of? you know, when their parents are both working and mm-hmm. yeah, certainly uh, one that's, it's, it's funny because I, Oregon is obviously is a, just such an incredibly white state and there's Portland is such an incredibly white city. Uh, it's, it's, it, it, it's really easy to get lost in, in all of everything that's going on that kind of that focus on minority communities and immigrant communities. And it's, I gotta say, it's just wonderful to hear that that's going to be an area of focus, especially from somebody who is a Republican, who is a representative of the party that gets accused all the time of being racist and everything. So that's, I'm, I just want to say, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Well, they're the folks that are working in our fishing industry. They're mm-hmm. working in our farms and increasingly they're working in the forest. They're, mm. you know, fallers and, working in the mills. Um, and I think we're also yeah. talking about kids here. I and, mean, yeah. we, right. we can have a discussion about, about immigration policy all day long, but we're talking about children. Yeah. And we want to make, I, I, I don't think I could live with myself if I didn't want to make sure that every child everywhere had the best opportunity to move up in life. Yeah. Uh, 
no matter their no matter their situation. Sure. And uh, we want to make sure that nobody's. I mean, for, we invoke George W. Bush here: "No child left behind." Right. <laughs> right. So we, right. We don't want to have a situation where we are uh, just condemning children to poverty over and over and over again. Sure. Sure. Well, shifting gears a little bit back to um, your race, I'm curious. So you mentioned the the campaign infrastructure. I think that that's that's really interesting. Is there anything else that you think that that the RP or other Republicans in Oregon might learn from your race as opposed because uh, to try and flip other seats? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. We, especially, as I'm thinking like a statewide race, for example, we, especially maybe yeah. the governors, thinking about an upcoming governor's race in 2022, uh, we've tried a little bit of everything. We've tried to nominate conservative Republicans, moderate Republicans, business Republicans, social conservatives, progressive Republicans. I mean, we, we've done pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. What I think we haven't done is try to nominate nonpartisan Republicans. And I know that sounds kind of silly, uh, maybe as a, a, a oxymoron. Like an oxymoron. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think what we, what Oregonians are sick of, is partisan politics, and I think that becomes obvious in this district, where the second biggest party is unaffiliated, mm-hmm. and it is quickly becoming the first biggest party. Yes and will soon overtake the Democrats. Um, people are just, they don't want to hear about why you're a Republican. They don't want to hear about why you're a Democrat. They don't want to hear why Democrats are better. They don't want to hear why Republicans are better. They want to hear what you're going to do to help them. Sure. And I think when I look back on it, the closest we came to taking Mahonia Hall was... Chris Dudley, a guy who was, he hadn't run for anything and nobody even knew he was Republican until he ran. And I think that is exactly what we had in Suzanne is somebody who people didn't know she was a Republican because it didn't matter. And Hmm. I would love to see the secretary of state's position become nonpartisan. Yeah. So that you have yeah. a statewide nonpartisan office that can be a right. springboard to the governor's office. Um, Weber twenty twenty two is that is uh, can we announce this to our <laughs> listener? <laughs> I don't have enough liquor in my cabinet to do that. <laughs> this was just the this this race was uh, was stressful enough. <laughs> Yeah, I can just imagine with that much that much money going into a state rep. I I did a pretty deep dive into the 2018 election, and I think the the most anyone spent on any one race was a million. And so for you guys to go, you said it was just the unions gave 1.7 million. Mm-hmm. So we that's came in addition to we came in at 1.3. You got oh yeah, so, we did yes. So we came wow. in. So it was just shy of three million. Did I do that right? Total. Yeah. Yeah. Just shy of, I'm sorry, I, I, I look at campaign numbers. Um, three, just three million, shy yeah. of $3 million. And um, wow. it, I think before that, 2018, was it 2018? I think it was 2018, uh, Bynum versus Dreamer was the most expensive race. And that, I think, was a combined $2 million or close to it. Wow. The really That's- encouraging thing that I fought, thought uh, throughout this, you know, my campaign was the amount of money that was donated from uh, the people in the district. Mm-hmm. That, that, just, that just warms my heart. Um, whether I got, you know, $5 or $1,000 from somebody or $3,000 from somebody within my district, that told me that, you know, they believed in what I was doing. Um, and some, a lot of them were Democrats too, that, uh, gave me that $20 or that $50 that told me they were paying attention and that, that they were committed to me and my race. We got about, uh, just shy of 200,000 in district, which, um, may seem, I mean, it, it may not seem like a whole bunch, uh, given the amount of money that was spent, but it was easily the most raised in district 
in this district ever. Wow. Uh, that's a testament to Suzanne and how much they believed in her and believed in uh, her being the best candidate for the job. Yeah. So I guess the next, the next kind of question from that, you mentioned being a nonpartisan, but you still, this is a partisan seat. Um, you had to put the R by your name. Um, did, were you affected at all by the national politics? I mean, running in a Trump re-election year, um, you, you're, you kind of are almost swallowed up in the, in the GOP brand. How, did, how were you able to either distance yourself from that or did you think it helped? Or um, how did that affect the race? We prepared um, for forums and questions being asked by uh, journalists for how I felt about Trump and mm -hmm. my going forward, how I was going to um, support him or not support him. And I was never asked a question huh. in any of the forums um, wow. that was related to Trump, which I think... Uh, I was... I had dreams of waking up and seeing just ads and mailers of of just pictures of Suzanne and Donald Trump holding hands somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> fully expecting it. We had, we had a, a messaging, uh, we had numerous messaging meetings just over that. How are we going to deal with it? How are we going to deal with it? Because we also have to be honest. I mean, yeah. we can't lie about it. Yeah. I mean, so we were fully expecting it, and it never, ever, ever came. Wow. And I was amazed. Uh, not, that I, not, not that I was in a – not that I thought that, that we weren't going to be able to handle it or that we were going to have right. to be slimy politicians about it because we weren't. We're going to no. be completely honest. And yeah. Yeah. we just never came up. Nobody ever asked. Huh. I feel like that might have been a, just a strategic error on the Democrats because that's how they've been – winning a lot yeah. of races around here is just tying the Republican candidate to Trump. And he's, he's so unpopular in this state that that's been a really effective message. I mean, the, the democratic mailers that they send out, it just, it doesn't matter who you are. If you even are by your name, you, they put your face right next to Trump and, and that's, that's all they need probably to probably dye your face orange that's, a little bit too. <laughs> <laughs> it was fascinating. It was fascinating to me because what they did it was what we avoided doing, and that was running a campaign in a box. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they hmm. brought it. They brought in a consultant. Yeah, uh, from DC. They had staff from Portland, and they and if you go around and look at the the mailers and the messaging of all the targeted races, they're almost identical. Yes. One thing we absolutely were not expecting at all was uh, Suzanne filled out a questionnaire by the Oregon Family Council. Yeah. And one of the questions was, would you, would you support the right of churches to uh, hire and fire based on their doctrinal beliefs? Sure. Which Suzanne said yes, yes to, because churches can... They can do they, that. I mean, that's, that's a Supreme, they had a Supreme Court case about that that was unanimous sure. when RBG was there. Mm -hmm. It was unanimous. So it seemed like a harmless question. Well, they took that and they twisted it into Suzanne wants to allow all businesses to fire people for being gay, which mm. blew us away because oh. where did that come from? It also blew us away because we thought this is not on the front, mind, front of people's minds no, in this district. not at all. And uh, not saying it's right, not saying it's wrong. Is it? This is just people taking a campaign in a box and just trying to take the square peg and put it in the round hole. Mm -hmm. It was not, it was very tone deaf to the district. Um, another thing that they, they did is they did a, an ad saying that Suzanne had voted to, uh, to remove a billion dollars from education. Uh, they grabbed from the wrong campaign in a box there because they grabbed from the incumbent section Oh no! <laughs> uh, where she had an opportunity to vote on that, which she didn't. Uh, she was never in the assembly. So lawyers got involved. Uh, we, we had those ads taken down. Uh, oh my! God. But it, it was it was just strategic mismanagement on the other side that I was just amazed by. Interesting. With that much money, you think they could do that throughout the state? They yeah. they yeah. misread yeah. Huh. candidates. I've, you know, it's funny having done this podcast for two years now, um, talking to a lot of different people and just realizing how different 
Oregon is from like a national race or, I mean, I can't speak to any other states, but I would assume it's different than other states as well. And people here care about different things. And, uh, you know, it, always, it kind of amazes me that we pull in these consultants from out of state, from DC, from wherever, and they've got a, a message that's going to work great in Texas or, you know, Ohio, and then it just completely falls flat here in Oregon. So we brought in a consultant, uh, Suzanne, uh, I, I lined up consultants for Suzanne to pick, pick from, and uh, she chose uh, a gentleman from Salem who had been involved in politics a long time, but had never run a legislative race right. as a general consultant. But what he had been doing is running school board races and county commission races. Hmm. And oh. while all of us were getting our asses handed to us, it, it, he was out there winning. He was right. winning races. <laughs> He was now he wasn't winning legislative races because he wasn't running them, but he was winning races. And he, a gentleman by the name of David Collada, and he was, I've never seen a guy work hard like this before. Uh, usually, when you get, a, especially a consultant out of BC, you can generally expect you're done communicating with them at six o'clock. Yeah. Uh, David and I had phone calls. Easily, easily after midnight. The wow. texts would go so that there were, you'd, you'd right. put your phone down for a few minutes <laughs> and then you come back and there were 35 texts yeah. concerning your campaign that you still, that you hadn't seen because these two were, and Katie and Victoria were going back and forth, planning, planning, planning. Right. So it really was kind of a David and Goliath situation where we were taking on, um, high, high-level Democratic consultants and and one. Wow. So I, I'd just be curious. I, I know we're getting close to, to, to wrapping up here, um, but it, it sounds like you are, uh, like, I don't want to say an accidental legislator, but you are, you cared <laughs> about public service, you cared about the public good, and you, you had somebody that wasn't representing you serve as your representative, and you said, I'm, I'm, kind of through with this. And I, we've, uh, James and I have been on an email chain with uh, a, a listener. I feel like we're, we've like reached this level of podcast where I can talk about listeners now, but a <laughs> listener wrote in and she said, you've driven me to get more involved and asked, you know, I, I asked about like a budget committee that sh she could get on in, uh, in Oregon city where she lives. And I guess I'd be curious for your thoughts. If, if you are looking to, to get involved would you kind of advocate for, for more of taking your route of just saying, I'd like to be involved with the school board. I'd like to be involved on the city council. I'd like to look at running for mayor because I think a lot of people look at, you know, Donald Trump and Kate Brown and, you know, Ron Wyden and, and Shamia Fagan, people at that level and just say like, I, I'd like to be the secretary of state. I'd like to be the governor, forgetting that there's a lot of really good, really important work that gets done at a local level yes. that maybe doesn't make CNN, but it still affects the lives of a lot of people on a daily basis. Right, because our county leaders and our city leaders are looking for committee people. And when you start looking at, you know, the needs of the committees, they're all nonpartisan. But you can learn so much and you can find out that there are avenues for you to be involved in other ways. Uh, planning commissions, budget committees, um, housing, mm -hmm. um, ODOT. Um, it's, it, and, and the thing is, you learn so much. And you can then, you know, relate it to people around you that, it's really important also because, you know, people don't pay attention to who's qualified to be on whatever committee or whatever. Mm -hmm. they, they don't pay attention. And, and um, educating those people in small ways like that can really open up our whole democratic process. Or, yeah. yeah. I, I think, well, why, I guess the question is why are they getting involved? I think we have folks who get in, some folks who get involved in politics on our side who solely want to be involved in politics to troll Democrats, which, <laughs> hey, that's a great past idea. Yeah, God bless. <laughs> yeah, but if, you, but if you actually want to achieve and make, make things better for your community, I tell you, government is, is most effective at the city 
and mm-hmm. county levels. Mm-hmm. So go get on your budget committee. Suzanne started on the budget committee in I 2000. Did. Get on your county budget committee and learn how your budget works. Get on your city planning commission. Get on your city advisory committee for trees. Right. I mean, just yeah. get involved. And then yeah. when you get involved in that one committee, well, then you'll learn about the structure of how the city or the county works. And then you think, well, I'd like to be on that. And then you start getting really involved. And then you get guys like me call you up and say, hey, have you ever considered mm-hmm. right. running for the legislature? Right. And then it goes on from that. So you, you don't want to say, well, I'm going to go run for governor. Well, good freaking luck. You're, you're, <laughs> you're going to hate your life, and you're going to wonder why no one pays attention to what you say. Yep. Uh, the best thing to do if you want to get involved is get involved in your, in your local government, your city, and your county. And I promise you, if you do well there, guys like me are going to come looking for you in a few years. When, because the legislature has a giant turnover. Because the pay sucks. I don't know why you want to do that, James. <laughs> sucks and everybody hates you yeah so the turnover is huge i mean four to six years at best most legislators actually serve get involved on local boards and listen to really good podcasts absolutely (laughs) exactly well one we are about out of time so we are one of the things we like to do before we let our guests go is ask the question who is your favorite republican either one of you can go first Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan. I like it. Classic. I'm gonna I'm gonna go. The guy I've been following very closely the last two two three four years is Ben Sass. I have I have. That's the type of guy that I became a Republican because of. Hmm. Uh, Someone who has a deep deep respect for the for the assembly for the Congress for the legislature who doesn't feel like we should all just pass empty regulation, empty laws, and then That's shoot true. it off to the executive to write rules uh, in, in by some unelected bureaucrat. And he's pretty freaking funny, too, if you're a follower. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I love the guy. He, my, my favorite Ben Sass factoid is he still drives for Uber on the weekends. Like, he'll yeah. go back home to Nebraska and just to just hear what people are talking about and see the bars people are going to and I, whatever. And I like that. That's just such a cool thing for a United States senator to do. They try, they don't normally do so much to distance themselves from people. And they're this in this elite bubble. And Ben Sass says, no, I'm going to drive and, you know, get my Honda Accord or whatever kind of car he in, cruises around Omaha. And, drives people to the bar <laughs> that's funny exactly. well i think with that we're going to wrap it up um representative adam thank you guys so much for coming on the show and i think it's really is a lot of fun and listeners we will talk to you next time thanks for listening to the rational republican podcast your hosts are james ball and nick perlosky the show today is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors of Portland, serving the greater portland metro area for all your garage door installation and repair needs If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at james at jamesaball.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.